0: Beginning, or we are actually concluding today our sermon series on worry. We've been talking about worry, what Jesus had to say about worry, what the Old Testament says about worry, what the New Testament says about worry. One of the things here at the bridge you need to understand is we value the whole Bible, we value the Old Testament. Amen. We value the New Testament. The whole Bible is about one person, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament tells us Jesus is coming. The New Testament tells us Jesus has come and has died on the cross for us, has risen from the dead. The New Testament tells us he has gone back to heaven, and the New Testament tells us one more thing, he's what? Coming again, absolutely, coming back to this world. Well, we're talking about worry, and you know what? We're talking about what to do till he gets back. And one of the things we don't want to do is worry. How many of us worry? But Jesus said, don't do it, don't do it, and he tells us why, and the Word of God gives us many, many clear scriptures about worry, and we subtitled this series, Fear's Ugly Cousin, because when you fear, it results in worry. When you see a worried person, it's because they're afraid of something that might happen. They're afraid of something that could happen. I'll even go a step further They're afraid of something that has a high likelihood of happening, but the fact is it hasn't happened yet. So we're going to talk about that. If you're going to put something on uh, social media, use the hashtag don't worry. Hashtag don't worry. That way we'll all get to see it. If you want the sermon notes from this sermon or any sermon or series that is ever preached here at the bridge, all you have to do is send an email there. Tell us what you want Tell us the date, and we will try to help you and get the sermon notes to you. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. And let's go to verse 34, and let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus said, and I know we have um, read this many times in this series. We'll read it several times today. i got to tell you something. That's something that never gets old, reading what Jesus said. Going back over what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own real worries, its own actual problems. He says in that first part of that sentence, don't worry about what could happen, because when you get there, there will be some real stuff to worry about, so don't don't reach into tomorrow and pull your trouble into today. Tomorrow's trouble or today's trouble, he says, is enough for today. We've already re- learned in the series. Uh, actually, last week we talked about the impact, the negative impact that worry has on us. We found out that God gives a certain amount of blessings every day. We read that in the Bible. And that God, right here in Matthew 6:34, God gives a certain amount or allows. A certain amount of trouble every day. How many days do you have difficulty? Every day. How many days do you have blessing? Every day. So there's a certain amount of blessing. There's a certain amount of difficulty in every single day. So if you reach into tomorrow and pull possible trouble into today, you mess up that delicate balance. Because that is a delicate balance in your life that God has ordained When it gets out of whack, when it gets imbalanced, then you can't carry that load. And we'll talk about that in detail today. So the first thing that happens is worry robs us of God's blessings today. When we worry about what could happen tomorrow, we won't see God's blessings today. When we worry about what could happen, we'll miss actual blessings that are real Our imagination ruins often today's blessings. One writer said, worrying about tomorrow's potential problems robs us of today's real blessings. So get that, get that. And you say, well, Pastor, I got it. I wrote that down five times last week. I know. But you know, there is power in repetition. There is power in going back over something. How many school teachers I got in the house? Y'all know, don't you? You go back over it. They don't get it the first time. They don't get it the second time. You know how I know that's true about you? Because it's true about me. The more I hear something, the more I read something, the more I study something, the more it gets into me and suddenly I don't have to try to think about it. It's in me. And so when I go in a wrong direction or I make a wrong move or I, or I step out of bounds, that principle that is now not just something I know but is dropped into my heart it activates, and I remember this is why I'm going through this difficulty. This is why I'm worried, that because I'm not practicing this principle that I know is true. So worry about tomorrow rub, robs us of God's blessing today. So here's what we want to talk about today. Two more things that worry does in a negative way, and then we're going to end on a positive. Worry not only robs you of today's blessings, but worry makes you weak Worry weakens you. How many of y'all, like me? I'm 59, so I need all the strength I can get. Who needs all the strength they can get these days? How about the culture we live in? How about that video? And you know what? What was interesting about that video to me right before the sermon is there was some old footage in there. There were some old news anchors in there who don't do it anymore. And, And I just thought about. Man, you know, the the pressure that's been on us, and I think about 9-11, and it seems like 9-11 is almost a a, uh, day that marked a change for this country, that there's just a, a deeper soberness maybe in us, not necessarily that men and women are turning to God, but it just seems like conflict nationally and conflict internationally just went to another level, so there's more for us. If we don't keep our eyes on God, there's more for us to worry about. Can I just give you some advice? You don't have to watch the news all the time. I got to tell you, man, I have to turn it away from the news, and I have to watch something that lowers my blood pressure. American Pickers, glory to God. (laughs) Thank God for Mike and Frank, come on. I love those guys. I want to get them saved, but I love them. And uh, I just got, yeah, here's another thing that lowers my blood pressure Andy and Barney, black and white. Come on, come on. I know the African American people sitting here going, Where are the black people in that show? There ain't no brothers and sisters in that show. That's the truth, man. That's the truth. Yeah, that is a different time, but I just love that show. And, uh, I love all the old shows. You know, these kind of lower your blood pressure. It helps you put your mind in neutral. Let me get off of that. I'll be preaching on that. But don't forget this. Sometimes you have to nip it in the bud. Nip it. That's some good theology right there. But worry makes us weak. How many of you can be in a good mood and run into the wrong person and your mood changes? Don't point at people. How many of you can be in a good mood and watch the news and it changes you? I'm telling you, man, because you see injustice and you see people saying things, stupid stuff. You know, it's almost like the news people go, let's go out and find some stupid people and interview them and make the rest of the people mad. Yes. Oh, man, you're telling me, you know, I've watched this football coach who wants to pray with his team. And they won't let him pray with his team on the field. And he does it anyway. And I just want to just go brave heart on somebody. I I, I wanted uh. That was my Elvis move. That's the only Elvis move I got. All right, stop, stop, stop. Number two. <clears throat> Had a lot of cold medicine this morning before I left the house. So I said, drink some more, it makes you preach better. That was hurtful. Last week, this is what we learned. We learned again that every day has a fair measure of difficulty. And God so often we learned last week too that God, God um, creates that difficulty. Sometimes the difficulty we're in, God sent us into it, and we didn't do anything wrong. Does that help you a little bit right there? Because how many of you, every time you go through a difficulty, your first thought is, wonder what I did wrong to deserve this? Sometimes you didn't do anything. Jonah created his own storm, but when the disciples were sent into the storm by Jesus, they had done nothing wrong. The Bible says that Elijah was on a mountain and everybody else was in famine. There was a famine in the land. There was drought in the land, but because Elijah had been faithful to God, God sent bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening and put him by a cool brook and took care of him. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says one day the brook dried up. Sometimes the brook just dries up. It's not because you did something. It's not because you didn't do something. Sometimes God designs some difficulties for you. Sometimes God allows, opens the door like he did on Job and allows you to be tested Allows you to be tried. So, you know, anytime you're having difficulty, certainly every day of our life, we want to do evaluation of our life. The Bible says, let a man, let a woman examine himself, herself. Do an evaluation. Where am I with God? Certainly, certainly you want to do that. But listen, don't let your first thought be every time you're in a valley, every time you're in a difficulty, every time you have an unexpected struggle, I must have done something wrong and God's getting me. Man, if you get that picture of God in your head then you're just going to feel like God is this mean policeman in your life that hopes you'll do something wrong so he can whop you over the head. And I don't know any really mean policemen. All the policemen I know are good policemen. Amen. Amen? Matter of fact, I don't know who he was. I'm not even going to say what part of the um, law enforcement community he was a part of, but I want to thank the guy who pulled my wife over in a, work zone recently (laughs) for speeding. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes Millie doesn't appreciate, I feel like she doesn't really appreciate me. I mean, sometimes I, I just feel like that, you know? And that Law enforcement officer said this to her. He asked her this question. Aren't you Farrell Hardison's wife? <laughs> and for the first time in her life, she said, Why? Because <laughs> she didn't know if that would get her a ticket or get her out of a ticket. He said, I go to the bridge. And I I, I thought you looked like his wife. She said, why? <laughs> she said, "Yes, I am." He said, "All right, Miss Hardison, you slow down now." Now let me tell y'all something. There's going to be women all over Wayne County claiming to be my wife now. <laughs> so, so, let me tell y'all something. Had that had that law enforcement officer pulled me over, here's what he would have said: Had I said, "I'm the pastor of the bridge." He would have said what another law enforcement officer said to me at another time. If you'll slow down, pastor, you can give your money to the church instead of the state. (laughs) I mean, I pulled that pastor card, buddy. I pulled that Jesus card. Man, I had a Bible laying beside me big as a Sears and Roebuck catalog. I I was talking in my pastor voice. Good evening, officer. Hallelujah. And that's what he said to me. You got that right. Now, I will agree with that. Millie's better looking. Ain't near as smart though. Okay, let's um, move along right here. So God allows a certain amount of difficulty. We're having fun at church, aren't we? Is that all right? Is that all right to laugh, have fun at church? Because I'm about to nail y'all, so get ready. So God allows a certain amount of difficulty in our life, and we, we accept that, and we know he does. Now, you've got to accept that. You've got to get there first. But with every bit of difficulty that he allows or every bit of difficulty that he that you bring on yourself like a Jonah. He gives you strength. But it's a certain amount of strength. God gives you a certain amount of strength for a certain amount of difficulty. There are two days when God will not give you strength. Two days. Yesterday, because it's gone. And tomorrow, because I here yet? It's not here yet, bad English, good preaching. God gives you strength for, come on, today. Today, look at Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 25, last part of that verse. Your strength will equal your days. I'm not going to give you strength above the day you're in. I'm going to give you strength for that day. And the same God who gives a sufficient amount of difficulty, again, is the same God who gives you that sufficient amount of strength. Your strength will equal your day. So it is reasonable to conclude from this principle, this truth in the Word of God, that when you add to your difficulties by reaching into tomorrow and bringing tomorrow's possible problems into today, then you're not going to have enough strength to handle What could happen tomorrow and what is happening today? Am I preaching up here? Because God gives you strength for today. Let's look at Psalm 103, verse 14. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. He knows what we can handle and what we can't. Now, some versions of the Bible says, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are but dust. Dust. And a preacher said that one time in a church service, we are butt dust. And the little girl pulled on her mama's dress and her mama turned around and the little girl said, mama, what's butt dust? And she said, walk behind your daddy. So let's, um, so here's one. Anybody who gets up and leaves right now, we just tick them off, all right? So God knows our what? What does he know about us? You know what that means? He knows what we can handle. He knows what we can't handle. That's why he said don't worry because when you reach into tomorrow and pull it into today, you're just overloaded. you just overloaded your what? Because you are butt dust. That's all y'all are. You're just dust. He knows what we are. When an engineer designs a pickup truck, pickup trucks, come on. Amen. I, said, I heard about a neighborhood that you couldn't park your pickup truck out in the public, and if you lived in that neighborhood, you had to park it in the garage. Are you kidding me? I ain't gonna get off on that. Pickup trucks. Everybody, everybody's got a pickup truck. Go, Whoa. yeah. When engineers design a pickup truck, they say, this is a half ton truck. This is a one, this is a two, whatever. They know, here's what what that means. They know the frame. They know the motor size. They know the body size. They know the parts of that truck. And here's what they say. They say, this is what it can handle. And if you put more than that in it over time, it's going to break down. And that's what God is saying to us in this verse. Borrowed trouble overloads your truck. And when you add the weight of tomorrow to today's load, it's no wonder someone has to call a wrecker to pick you up on the roadway of life. Look what it says. Well, actually, this verse isn't coming up, but you know this verse. It's a a verse that's very familiar that you've memorized. Paul said we need to forget something. Do you all remember We need to forget those things which are behind us. So I want to just talk real quickly. I know I'm talking about going into the future, but a lot of times we worry because of our past as well. Paul said, listen, forget those things that are in the past. Here's the deal. If you've repented... If God has moved on your heart that you need to make amends, that you've been to somebody, hey, listen, man, there's nothing else you can do. You've done everything you can do. Forget the past and move where? On forward, yes. Commit your past to God, Paul says. God will forgive you for your past. He will bury it in the grave of his forgetfulness. Some of you, our burden today, not because you're worried about the future, but because you are living in the failures of your past, and you've repented, and you've asked God's forgiveness, and you've believed that he's forgiven you, and, and if there were people you had to go to, you went to them, and, and you did the best you could. You say, yeah, but they didn't receive it. That doesn't matter. When you went to them, and you were honest, and you were sincere, you handed the ball to them. Now they got the ball, and, you, and they're done. You're done. But, you got, but even though some of you have done that, every day you think about that failure. Every day you think about, what was I thinking? What in the world happened to me? What made me do that? I can't. And you live there. And let me tell you something. The devil loves it. When you keep going back and pulling, uh, what did Randy Travis say? Come on. Digging up bones, baby. There's a country boy right there. Keep digging up bones, man, and you keep bringing it back up. God didn't. God goes, I'm done with it. As a matter of fact, there's an old uh, Southern Gospel song uh, that used to have this line in it. When you go to God and remind him of your sins, he would respond, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember those against you anymore. No, God doesn't ever forget anything. God knows everything, remembers everything. Here's what it means to forgive and forget. It means that you don't actually not have it in your memory anymore, but it means you don't hold it against yourself anymore. And that's what true forgiveness is. If you say you've forgiven somebody, but you still hold it against them, then listen to me, you haven't forgiven them. You yeah, haven't forgiven them, and that's on you, and that's gonna wear your engine down. That's gonna weigh on you. So, you've gotta stop living in the failures of the past. You've gotta stop, stop worrying about the possible failures in the future, because another trick the enemy plays on us is if you did it one time and you messed up one time and you blew it one time, I guarantee you're gonna blow it again. So, you not only worry about how you blew it, you worry that you're gonna blow it. Instead of saying, What a fool! I was, why don't you start saying, what a fool I am, to keep saying, what a fool I was. Did you get that? Stop saying, what a fool I was, and start saying, what a fool I am, to keep saying, what a fool I was. I heard about a man who was unloading a ship in New Orleans back in the old, old, old days, and he was walking across the gangplank with his Uh, material in his hands and he fell off or the gangplank broke and he went to the bottom of the water, the bottom of the ocean there on the edge of that harbor and he pushed off the bottom and came to the top. His head made it above the water and he cried out, somebody help me, somebody help me, somebody help me. If you don't help me, I'm going to die, help me and nobody helped him and he pushed up again and, and he got just a little bit lower but he still made it above the water. He said, help me, help me, somebody help me. And then he pushed up with all of his might the final time. And he said, if somebody don't help me, I'm going to have to drop these anvils I'm holding. (laughs) You know what those anvils are in your life? Yesterday and tomorrow. Some of you will not let go of the anvils of yesterday and tomorrow. And it is pulling you under. Jesus said, every day has enough real difficulties, so if you'll drop the anvil of yesterday and you will drop the anvil of tomorrow, you will find that God has given you plenty of strength not to go under today. That's a good word. It takes a lot of energy to worry. Let me ask you something. When you're worried about something, aren't you just wore out? You just wore out. And then when, you, when things are going well, you got energy. you got to skip in your step. When you're not worried, you got energy. When you are worried, your energy is at the bottom. Worry takes a lot of energy. It makes you weak. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27. He said, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? In other words, what has worry ever done for you? Can I tell you today that worry has never solved a problem? It has never shed a dried a tear. It has never lifted a burden. One poet put it this way. He said, for every evil under the sun, either there is a cure or there is none. If there be one, seek till you find it. If there be no cure, never mind it. In other words, if you can't do anything about it, move on. Just move on beyond it. There's some things you have no power over. There are some things you can't change. Some of you worry about the way people are. You're never going to change the way people are. You're carrying a burden you can't do anything about. It can't be fixed. You can't change them. Bring it to God. Worry robs you of today's blessings, and worry makes you weak. Number three, worry creates problems did you know that the very thing you worry about, if you will worry about it long enough and hard enough, it'll actually come to pass? Because you worried about it so much, you say, where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Job said this, Job said, the thing I feared the most has what? Come upon me. So Job even admits, man, I'm living a nightmare, I'm living something that. I've never told many people, but I've always worried this day would come. I'm not saying Job's worry brought him there, but I'm saying that the thing that you worry about and the thing that you think about all the time that could happen or might happen, be very careful with that because it can overload you and break you down. You can worry yourself into real problems. I like what one philosopher said. He said, My life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. A lot of us could write that, couldn't we? Oh, the horrors I have lived through, but most of them were in my mind. Most of them never happened. Ruining your life, ruining relationships with your children, your marriage. Ruining your effectiveness as a Christian in influencing other people to follow Jesus. It just messes everything up. It creates problems. Can I just whine and gripe here a little bit? Have y'all ever got behind somebody in traffic who drives like they know every light's going to be a stoplight? I usually go by those people, roll the window down, and go, get out of the way, Sunday driver. Of course, there are no Sunday drivers anymore. How many of y'all remember the old days when we used to ride around real slow on Sunday? Those days are over, baby. It's NASCAR. That's why I love the new road so much. Ah. You know, they drive like that, and I'm like, "Get up, come on, dude, if you will just go, the light will be green when you get there. <laughs> but if you still on not it's going to be wrecked because I'm type A, and you know, I need to be there yesterday. And a lot of people live their life that way. They're always expecting trouble, always expecting something to stop them or hinder them. Most of us face the future exhausted and out of breath because we've been fighting imaginary foes. We're exhausted. We're out of breath. We have nothing left for anybody because we're fighting not real foes, but imaginary foes. So let me just close with this thought. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 34, and this is the verse we've read over and over and over, and, and the series, this series has always been in the context of that verse. Jesus said, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today." you know what, I thought about that verse and I thought about, you know how human, your human nature is just right there at the top, you know, your, your spiritual nature, you gotta dig in there and find that, but your human flesh nature, it's right there at the top, ready to respond to everything, come on, y'all look holy, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. So when I'm reading this verse, you know, a little thought creeps in my mind and here's that little thought, can I just be honest? Jesus, that's easy for you to say, you're Jesus. And then I thought about, he knew what was going to happen to him. The one who said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Live in today, live in today so you can have the strength that will be enough for real problems today. Live in today in the sense, and that, and that doesn't mean you don't think about eternity and all of that, but living today in the sense of you're not going to worry the one who told me that, the one who said that to me, knew what was coming did Jesus have a little something something to worry about y'all think? you know what the Bible says in the book of Psalms the Bible says in the book of Psalms from his youth up he knew I mean he he didn't wake up at 28 years old and go hey I think I know why I'm here hey I think some rough days are coming for me He knew from his youth up. As a matter of fact, when he was 12 years old, his mom and dad looked around one day and he was missing. Y'all remember that story? Well, his mom, his dad was in heaven, but Joseph. And they said, where's Jesus? And they started asking people, do you know where Jesus is? Where's Jesus? And they said, "Um, I, I don't know. And they went back and he was in the temple teaching 12 years old, and they were kind of getting on his case like any good mom and daddy would. Where were you? You know, we're worried about you, blah, blah, And he, he asked them a question. Know you not that I must what? Yes, i got to be about my father's business. You know what that tells me? He knew. He knew why he was there. Will you permit my imagination a little bit right here? I think when Jesus was a little kid... Running around playing like all little kids do. See, y'all think that when Jesus was a little kid, he wore a robe and walked around like this, don't you? No, man, Jesus was a regular little kid and played with the other kids. I think when he would pick up a nail in his father's carpenter shop, I think he knew one day nails will be driven through my hands and my feet. I think when he would be out playing with those kids and and he'd run into a bush that had briars and he'd prick his finger on a briar, I think he knew, one day I'll wear a crown of thorns on my head. The Jesus who knew that. So don't come up with that. I mean, I did. Don't you come up with, that's Jesus. He's Jesus. No wonder he can say that. He knew what was coming, man. He knew what he was going to face. And he knew that in order for him to obey, take no thought of tomorrow, in order for him to live in that world of no worry, he had to bind to the verse before that. Verse 33. Look what it says in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, daily needs, shall be added unto you. See, listen, listen. Until you buy into that verse, you can't live in verse 34. Until Jesus is first in your life, worry is going to be a problem for you. But when you put his kingdom first, when you put the righteousness of God First, in your life, then all the things, the daily needs that you're worried about, you won't need to worry about them anymore because He says, I'm going to add those to you. Are y'all with me out there? Y'all getting this? So that's why He says, don't worry. He's not just saying a command, hey, you people stop worrying. Look, look at the context. He says, if you'll put me first, if you'll put my Father's kingdom first, if you'll give God, your life, if you'll submit your life to me, if you'll stop thinking good works are gonna get you to heaven, and if you'll get saved, if you'll get born again, if you'll accept me and stop running from me and start, uh, stop arguing with me and stop making all these excuses about hypocrites being in the church. Have you ever heard that excuse? I don't give my heart to the Lord because there's hypocrites in that church. Hey, if you find a church that don't have any, don't go because you will ruin it. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you something about hypocrites too. I'd rather go to church every week with some of them than end up in hell with all of them. (laughs) Did I just say that out loud? (laughs) So don't tell me about hypocrites. And can I just say this too? If being a hypocrite is saying one thing and doing another, sometimes I do that. Sometimes I do that, and I have to repent, and I have to go, God, you know what, I preached something, and then I did something different the very next week. So, man, that, that, those excuses, come on, drop all the excuses, drop all the arguments, quit saying, well, I found this in the Bible, and then I found this over there where it contradicts. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Yes, I didn't. No, you didn't. I'm, no, you didn't. The Bible never contradicts itself when you study it in context. So when you give your life to God, then the worry problems begin to go away as you submit them to him. When we put God first today, here's what he's saying in that verse. I'll take care of all your tomorrows. If you will put me first today, I'll take care of all your tomorrows. He's, ma- <laughs> Excuse me. he's making a covenant with us. He's saying, if you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. How about that? Here's what we want We want, God, I don't want to get in your business. I don't want anything to do with your business. I I really don't want to be that religious person. I I don't want to be that uh, person that that is all churchy and all about the Bible. But God, I really do want your blessings on everything I do. He goes, No deal, man. He goes, I tell you what, you put my business first, and then I'll put your business first. I'll put you, I'll bless you. Seek me first, and then I'll add. All the stuff you're worried about, you won't even need to worry about anymore because I'll take care of you. Good word. So the question is, do I care about the Lord's business? Do I care? Do I care whether people are being saved or not? Do I care where, whether people in my community are coming to know Jesus or not? You say, well, that's none of my business. You didn't get that out of the Bible. You say, that's private. That's between them and God. You didn't get that out of the Bible. The Bible said for you to be salt and light in your community the Bible said you don't have to go around with a big Bible hitting people over the head with it, but I tell you what, you go around being Jesus to people. And if you'll be Jesus to people enough, they'll ask you, Who, why, why do you do that? Why do you, why do you care about me? Why would you come over here and help me? They keep seeing you be Jesus to them. They're going to want to know why. And when that happens, that opens the door for you to say, hey, man, I gave my life to Jesus and I got the can't help it." I can't help it when I see somebody in trouble, when I see somebody in need. Ever since he came in my life, I just want to help people. And then they'll go, well, tell me. How can I get that? And then, boy, then the door did open wide. And next thing you know, you're sitting in church with your neighbor who you influenced to come Jesus, so do you care about the Lord's business? Is that first? Do you put his business above your own? Is Christ not just Savior, but is he Lord of your life? Is he your master? Do you know him personally? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Or do you just know about Jesus? It isn't enough to know about him. I know people who can quote scripture and tell Bible stories, but they don't know the author. They don't have the author of the book in their heart. I'm not asking you how much you know about the Bible. I'm not asking you any of that. I'm asking you, do you know the Lord? I got a feeling that the guy hanging on the cross beside Jesus that got saved, I got a feeling he didn't know anything about the Word of God. I got a feeling he didn't know anything about church, he didn't know anything about anything. Here's what he knew. He knew Jesus was Messiah and he knew Jesus was his Savior. And the Holy Spirit convicted his heart and he responded favorably to the Holy Spirit. And right there on that cross, hanging beside Jesus, a thief and a robber, he turned his life over to Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll see you in paradise, sir. Because it isn't what you know and it isn't what you do. And it isn't all that. It's that you surrender your life to him. Let me close with this story. Alexander McLaren, and by the way, anything you read by him is A-OK. He's an old Scottish preacher of bygone days. One of the great expositors, one of the great theologians of the Word of God. Alexander McLaren, when he was a little boy growing up, lived in a little village outside of a big city. He got his first job in the big city at the age of 16 years old. And in order to get to that job, he had to walk six miles one way. And so in order to work that job, he would go in on Sunday afternoon, work Monday through Saturday, and then he would come home after he'd worked all week long, 16 years old, living in a big city by himself. But back then when you were 16, you were a man. And so Alexander McLaren, on his first walk to his new job, his daddy said, I'll go there. I'll, I'll walk with you. It's your first time. I'll walk with you. And on the way there, they came to what they knew they would come to because they had always heard about it and they had walked through it a few times. They came to a deep, dark ravine, a chasm, a gorge. It was very, very dark and They had to walk through that, and once they walked through it together, as father and son, his father looked at him and said, now, Alex, he said, when you get off work on Saturday night, he said, I want you to come on home Saturday night, and Alexander McLaren said to his dad, Dad, I'll be tired Saturday night. I I, I really, if you don't mind, I'm going to sleep Saturday night, and then I'll come home Sunday morning. Is that okay? And I'll come home real early, and I'll get home in time for church, and he said, no, Alex, this is the first time you've ever been away from home, son. And my old heart's going to miss you. And I'll be longing to see you. So he says, please, Alex, I want you to come home Saturday night when you get off work. What Alex had not told his dad is that there had been some terrible things that had happened in that ravine. There had been bandits and thieves and robbers that lurked there at night and some terrible things had happened there and Alex was scared to death. He didn't want to go through that valley at night by himself. He was afraid. He didn't want his daddy to know he was afraid because, you know, he's a man now and he didn't want his daddy to know so he swallowed hard and he said, all right, Dad, I'll I'll come on home Saturday night. So throughout that entire week, what'd he do? He (laughs) worried. He worried. He worried that whole week he tossed and turned and slept only a few hours each night and worried about what it would be like when he got to that ravine and it was dark and he worried about what might happen and what could happen and what he could face there and Saturday night came and he got off work and he made his way toward home and as he stood there on the brink of of that ravine, he looked in. It was so dark. So frightful. His chin started to quiver. Tears welled up in his eyes. He was so scared. He did not have the strength to step into that ravine. And suddenly he heard a noise and he saw a figure, a shadowy figure. It was coming right at him. And he noticed something about the features and the way that person was walking, and it looked familiar. And it was his daddy. his father had come to meet him in the dark valley. And his dad said, Alex, I missed you so bad. I just thought I'd come meet you and walk through the ravine with you and walk all the way home with you. And Alexander McLaren said, With my father walking by my side, I feared nothing. And when you know that your heavenly father is by your side, and you know he will go through every valley with you, and when you know he's promised that he will never leave you, never forsake you, then why don't we stop worrying about tomorrow? Why don't we stop facing the future with fear? and Why don't we live in today and enjoy the blessings of today instead of paying the high cost of borrowed trouble because he'll walk with you through every valley. Let's all stand. Will you guys do something for me? Will you all just walk up here? Just walk right up here, everybody in the building. If you're physically able, just walk up here. Let's close around the altar today. And if somebody will bring me a box of tissues, I will love you forever. Hey, you know what? I'm just like you guys. I'm just like you guys. I'm just like you. I worry just like you worry. I get up here and preach on it. And the whole time I'm preaching, man, it's like a knife going bam, bam, because I worry too. So let's just come together as a church family. And let's just say, God, give us strength. Give us faith. Draw us nearer to you so we will stop borrowing trouble. Help Pastor Farrell and the staff and the elders the ministry directors the owners the people who attend the bridge and we got visitors here from other churches help us all. Us all through your strength. I mean, it's not willpower. It's reliance on you. We just rely on you. We just lean on you more. We've got to start leaning stop leaning on our own understanding and our own perspectives and our own views and we've got to get in your word and find out what you said and and we've got to start leaning on your wisdom and your input and your knowledge. We've got to start leaning on you and that will help us not to worry so much and Not to miss so many awesome blessings that are in every day of our life, but we're missing your blessings. Worry blinds us. Worry blinds us to the goodness of God all around us. It blinds us to the generosity of God. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. I love the song we were singing. I remind myself of all that you've done. I remind myself of all that you've done. God, help me to lean on you so that the Holy Spirit will be so real in my life that when I'm whining and borrowing trouble, that the Holy Spirit will remind me, but God did this, but God said this, but God is with you. I need to be so close to you, God, that when I'm whining and complaining and worrying, the Holy Spirit is right there to go, stop that, stop that. God loves you. God said this. Remember this promise. Remember this verse. Remember what Jesus said. Put him first. Put him first. And really that brings us to the end of our prayer as I ask those who have not received Jesus Christ to receive him now as your personal Savior. Right there where you stand, stop running. Stop offering excuses and say, Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. There's a lot about the Bible I don't know. I don't even know if I agree with everything that preacher said today, but I know this. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus, and I've been running. I've been running from you, and I need you, Jesus. Jesus, adopt me into your family, sir. Forgive my sins. I'm an orphan. I don't have anybody. I need you to be my father. I want you to be my elder brother, Jesus. I want you to be my heavenly father, Jehovah. I give my life to you, Jesus. I know you died in my place on the cross. You rose from the dead to give me life. And I know that in my head, but I want it in my heart. This morning, I accept that fact in my heart. And right now, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. And it's a journey and I know I need to read and I need to pray and I need to study and I don't know how to do all that stuff, but this church is gonna help me, they're gonna help me. And I'm gonna become a mighty warrior for you, God. This morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you prayed and said, I want Jesus to be master of my life, I've been running from Jesus, but today I ask him to rule my life And take over my life. Would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? We don't do this very often. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, as we depart and go our way, go with us. And let these words that have been declared in this house today and music and preaching come back up in our spirit. Throughout the week, so we remember that our faith and our hope is not in material things and temporary things, but our faith and our hope is in God Almighty, Lord, Creator. In Jesus' name. And everybody said,